Dear fellow redeemed, it was September 1938, and the clouds of war were gathering over Europe, and London was at risk. And so Neville Chamberlain went on a visit to that dictator in Central Europe, whose name is now infamous, and he came back, and he declared to a jubilant crowd, peace for our day. Peace for our day, and not even 11 months later, Adolf Hitler crossed the border into Poland, igniting the largest conflict of our day, and resulting in the only time that nuclear weapons have been used in warfare. And what a contrast from our opening hymn. This Neville Chamberlain who thought that if he just give him what he wants and he'll leave us all alone, if we just make sure that he is appeased and that, he, that we deal with his objections in a straightforward way, if we just shrink back a little bit, then he'll leave us alone and the conflict won't be there. And how much of a contrast, talking about um, our opening hymn, talking about having compassion for those trapped in sin and yet raging against the captor, or the hymn that we just finished singing. Hear us, cheer us by your teaching. Let our preaching and our labor praise you, Lord, and serve our neighbor. And the biggest question that our gospel reading presents to us today is the question of, of value. And the question of what is this good that our neighbor needs? And what does that look like? Because that's the practical implication, the practical import, where we know, we know at least conceptually what our neighbor needs from us whether that neighbor is physically somebody next door or somebody within our own family unit. We know what our children need from us, which is increasingly more guidance in a world gone crazy. We know what the neighbors that we haven't met need from us. They need the assurance of a savior, a savior who calls sin what it is and a savior who, who overwhelms with grace that goes beyond expectation. But it's so easy. Even looking back at, at the history leading up to World War II and the kind of push and pull between Neville Chamberlain and Winston Churchill and the two different approaches and that Chamberlain said peace for our day. But he was quickly out of office when Adolf Hitler started the battle. And that push and pull, I'm sure that it is something that you have felt within your own heart. Something that you have, that you've probably participated in at some point. That push and pull of knowing that this person you love is rejecting the Savior that you love. And how, how can I live as a godly person in a way that, that gives a good impression of my Savior and how can I communicate this to the person that I love in a way that can't be taken wrong? And that kind of gets to the heart of the matter. 
Because the way Jesus describes it today, when he talks about this division in the family, and I came to throw fire on the earth and how I wish it were already ignited, the way Jesus describes it today is there's all this division, even within, even within the home. Not even talking about and extending to the world around us, because that part is obvious. And perhaps from a worldly perspective, we understand what Jesus is saying as well. That sometimes siblings don't see eye to eye, or the, when the in-laws come to visit, it's, um, it's like fish and visitors, <laughs> three days, and that's probably enough. We understand, from a worldly perspective, what Jesus is talking about. But he's saying more than that. And we understand spiritually, at least in our minds, exactly what Jesus is referring to. That there is, there is a division between people based on who or what rules in their hearts. And so how do we as Christians, how do we as Christians reach out to encourage those who have been our members here? How do we as Christians live in such a way that provides a good impression of our Savior and speak in such a way that we, you know, hopefully would like to maintain a relationship, but then even more, not just the relationship for our time, but a relationship for our eternity. And the heartbreaking reality that as much as we might wish, we can never argue somebody into faith. And as much as we might wish that we bring our children to church when they're young, but then once they are grown, we can't carry them in the same way. And what shall we do? And the reason we talk about this and the reason Jesus brings it up here is because this is an absolute reality in his day and in our day and dating back to the beginning of time. This is an absolute reality that has been the experience of God's people dating back to the beginning of time. Even Adam and Eve and the first of their three children that we hear about and the strife that was there wasn't just sibling strife but the strife between believer and unbeliever. So it's nothing new. But when Jesus says these things, and he, he talks about them, the first thing that he's really saying is that we shouldn't be surprised. We shouldn't be surprised. But at the same time, we don't fall for the, the failure and the fallacy of Neville Chamberlain. As if to say, I have secured peace for our time, and the work here is done. The difficult task that Jesus describes for us here is something that he has given as keys to his people. We talk about this, um, it'll probably be the section after we finish the, the commandments. Right now we're on the fifth commandment that we recited today. And then after we get through ten in the conclusion, we'll get to uh, the use of the keys and confession. And that's the difference. That's the difference. In that, those keys are a privilege and a responsibility given to you as a Christian. That whenever a baby is baptized, it's like God places the keys of the kingdom into that child's hand as well. These keys. All it is, is the proclamation of law and gospel in a way that is the reality and declares the reality between God and people. 
the keys of the church to be able to, the right and privilege to be able to say, dear friend, by your unbelief or by your continued willful sin, you're putting yourself in grave danger. The ability to say with, with no malice and without any prejudice, but be able to, the ability to declare what is a spiritual reality already. That dear friend, by your continued disregard for the word of God, I'm careful, cautious, curious about your faith, and even more strongly, if this continues, and if it really is unbelief, then the door to heaven is closed. And that's a difficult thing to say. But it's also a difficult thing to say, I'll settle for peace in my day. And the reason we talk about this is because what we're working through in our minds is this understanding of, of reality as God sees it. This understanding of reality that says that what we, what we treasure here and the time that we spend together around his word and the, the people that we worship with here is of such great value that it cannot be taken away from you. It can only be lulled and wooed away through temptation and disregarding that word. The reality that what we have here as, as fellow Christians together means that, that there's a world and even loved ones who don't see life the same way and they won't. And the reality, the promise of our God, that he will give spiritual power to your words as well. That when you say exactly where somebody stands, on the basis of their confession of talk and confession of walk, that you can say, I'm concerned and I'm worried. I'm concerned that you're being swept along with all the concerns of this world and the faith that you had is being choked out. And I'm concerned because I love you and I want the best for you. And all I want is for you to hear what this Jesus has to say. And where that comes up and how it comes out, well, if that discussion comes up, it usually doesn't quite begin like that. But it might be something um, kind of adjacent to that. Something that, well, you know, the reason I don't like coming to church is, well, it's the music or it's the time or um, I don't like somebody telling me what I want to do. But the underlying reality, to be able to say that when you and I stand before Jesus as judge, do you want your only answer to be, well, the time didn't work for me? And what Jesus gives to his people and the gifts that he gives to his people are of such great value that he gives them absolutely free of charge. That he gives them absolutely free of charge with the assurance that, dear Christian, there is nothing that you will lose in this life that won't be repaid a thousand times over in eternity. The reassurance that he gives 
is that, dear Christian, you know, when you're talking with somebody, um, when you're talking with somebody, maybe later in life, we might recognize that, well, we're in a sprint and we need to talk about this now. And sometimes, if you have a long-standing relationship with this person, you might view it as more of a marathon. More of a marathon to say, well, here's how much I care about you. To, to demonstrate that we don't come at somebody with malice as though we ourselves were the judge. But we come at them with the reality that Jesus wants to see them in heaven with him forever. And that's the other part of, of the keys. When we talk about the keys as a, as a direct and specific proclamation of law and gospel, the use of the one, the use of the, the law key, the, uh, the binding key, to announce that, dear friend, your sin is now locked to you, and as a result, the door to heaven is closed. But the purpose... The purpose isn't there to say, now I got you. The purpose is to be able to move on and say, Jesus is the one who sets you free. Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. This Jesus that you may have learned about as a young child or that you maybe have never heard about is the one that I'm here to talk to you about now. That... um, that we even prayed together as we sang, Hear us, cheer us by your teaching. Let our preaching and our labor praise you, Lord, and serve our neighbor. That the reality that is often hidden from our eyes, and sometimes not, but the reality that is sometimes hidden from our eyes is that that unbelief or disregard for the word of God or willful sin is already there. And to tell somebody what that reality is is a caring thing to do. To have our, our Heavenly Father place into your hands the ability where he promises to follow up on your words. To say that you have a home in heaven because you have a Jesus who died for you. That even though, even though Jesus says that he has come to bring fire on the earth and how I wish it were already ignited and how distressed he was, he's talking about the division that will be there. But he promises a peace and a life forever together. He promises to you that even if, even if you think you don't have the words, he certainly does. He promises that even even if you think that you had failed at something in the past, well, then by all means, confess it to the Lord, and that is forgiven too. Even if you, you are concerned about this friend, and you wish that things had gone differently, well, as long as their heart is beating and they're breathing, they still can go differently. That when we gather together around the Word of God, That when we gather together to hear what our God has to say, even when it's something difficult, distressing, or challenging, like what he says today, he says that in order to give you and me a clear-sighted view of life in this world, of life as a Christian in this world. That even in this world, um, there might be divisions of, of every sort, 
of divisions of ethnicity or background, of socioeconomics, of education. But the only division that matters is the one that he came to solve. The one that he came to solve to lay down his life for all people. For all people. And so what does that look like? That's the difficult part. And I think the, the only way that we get into that is by example. That um, a couple months ago, my family and I went down south of Cincinnati for a little bit of a, a, little bit of a trip, vacation. And um, we went to the, the Ark, and it was fantastic. I mean, we'll hopefully plan a, a trip as a congregation. But the interesting thing, as we're walking through, and I talk with Desiree, and I'm like shaking my head. You know, I, I teach Genesis 1. We teach creation. And God's given, you know, placed me in an occupation where I get to spend my time in that word of God and not be confronted with it directly the way that many of you are. But walking through the ark and some of the ways that, that the, the, the designer put it together... It highlighted for me that even though Scripture kind of characterizes our life, there's still the ideas of the world around us that had crept in. The ideas of, um, of evolution, the ideas of millions and billions or um, so much time for everything to change from this thing to the other thing, and I don't remember the exact example, but it just struck me that, at least in that exhibit, Ken Ham had put together this, this demonstration of how Scripture is trustworthy in absolutely everything, even when, and especially when, the world around us would scoff or laugh at what Scripture has to say. And by example... To see that scripture is trustworthy in everything. Not just in the assumptions that we take for granted, the assumptions that sink into our minds as we see it plastered everywhere in every curriculum and on TV, but that scripture is trustworthy in everything. That God is serious when he says that he wants all people to be saved and that his love for you is just as much as his love for those you love. That scripture is trustworthy in everything that it says. Even the difficult things. Even the difficult things where scripture convicts all of us of the same sin and points us all to the same Savior. And by his power and authority, he distributes the same forgiveness to you and to me so that we enjoy the same blessings of fellowship together, the same blessing of this unity in the faith, the same promise that his words, rephrased and used in your words, are powerful to, to change a heart. Now it's not, it's not going to look like a microwave where you set it for 30 seconds and the heart is changed. And I can't absolutely guarantee that in every place and in every case, faith will happen. 
because the Holy Spirit creates faith when and where it pleases him. But the only thing that he uses is this message of the gospel. The only thing that he uses is the spiritual reality that Jesus points to today. To say that there's only two groups of people. There's one group that Jesus came and died for all of them. And then there's the group that, the two groups, the, those who know about it and believe it, and those who don't know or have rejected it. And he's given into our hands. The responsibility, yes, but the opportunity to start from the relationship you already have and to say, do you want to learn a little bit more? Or is there another reason why you don't? Maybe it's as simple as taking one of those books that we have on the table out in the entryway. Or of saying, you know, come to Wednesday evening catechism class or Thursday evening doctrine class. Because the fire that he talks about, of this fire of division and judgment, well, it's going to be coming in a real way. But he tells us these things because he cares. Because he wants us to see, not with the eyes of Neville Chamberlain, and say, well, as long as I've got peace in my day, but with the eyes of the rest of the world, that says we've still got time to speak to those that we love. And he's given us the ability to, to choose our place and choose the time and choose the timing. But to be able to say, dear friend, you have a Jesus that we share a Savior who, whose primary concern isn't to change your life and make you obey. His primary concern is so that you know that this Savior came for you. His primary concern isn't to simply maintain peace in our day, but to give you peace for eternity. That there's no, there's no um, confusion, or there's no, I don't know, confusion, I guess, between Jesus being the Prince of Peace and his words here that he comes to bring division. So let's rejoice in this peace together. You can look around, and if my experience is any example, chances are it's probably your experience too, that... that pretty much everybody here knows exactly how you're feeling. Or at least in a similar way. Of somebody that you love and you've had that conversation. So let's rejoice in what we have together and ask for God's blessing to use his words together. Amen. Amen.